Can you tell us your name uh, and where you're from? Okay, uh, my name's Ben. Uh, I'm originally from the UK, from Wales. And then how did you end up coming to Japan? Uh, so I ended up uh, over here during university for a three-week exchange. Uh, I was in Kyoto at that time. Uh, and then just had fun, so I decided at the end of university, I'd do one year abroad, and I went on the JET program. Nice. And where were you on the JET program? Uh, so I was based up in, in Aomori, which is uh, right at the, the north of uh, the main island of Japan. Um, I was basically the most isolated uh, of all the people in the JET program uh, within that whole prefecture. Um, so I was kind of in the middle of uh, in the middle of nowhere, but it was a really good experience, really good uh, opportunity to get to sort of learn Japanese at that time, yeah. How long were you there? Yeah, I was there for two years. Gotcha. And how how was your Japanese by the end of those two years? Uh, still conversational, but it was at a point where I could move to Tokyo and I could still continue to improve it. Gotcha. If that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so at the end of those two years, you obviously decided to stay yep. to move to Tokyo. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how did you make that decision? Um, I guess I knew I wanted to be in Japan. I just enjoyed the time that I'd had here, but I knew I didn't want to continue in English teaching, uh, and I didn't want to. Um, I mean, I loved living in Aomori; it's a great lifestyle there. Um, but there were limited career opportunities up there, um, and so I started looking into what opportunities there'd be in Tokyo. Um, and then a friend of mine introduced me to recruitment, which was something that I'd never really thought about before. Uh, I didn't really see myself as a salesperson, uh, but I was introduced to this company, learned a little bit more about it, and thought, why not give it a go? Got it. So you moved to Tokyo, started that job. Um, and I think that's actually where you met a couple of people that I know yep. from Tatori. Um, so how long, how long have you been? How long did you stay in that in that role or in that job? Long time actually. Uh, I was there for uh, about eight and a half years in the end. Okay. Yeah. All at the same company? All at the same company. Um, I mean, my role changed throughout that period, but sure. uh, I was there for the whole of that time, yeah. Got it. Okay. And can you talk a little about how coming from what you said was a very remote part of Aomori to a giant city like Tokyo, like, how did your experience change? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm from the middle of nowhere in Wales, and then I went to university, <laughs> a rural university, and then I was in Aomori, so it was a pretty big shift. Um, but I mean, I think I'd always wanted to experience life in the city anyway, so it was just fun, you know, it was like a, a big shift, it was a big change, but I just enjoyed it, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and so that, so you were in recruitment for a while, and then you changed jobs again, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about what you do right now. So um, I guess about, probably about four years ago, um, a couple of friends actually from my time in Aomori um, were talking about starting up a, a brewery here in Japan. Um, one of them was living in Kyoto um, and we were talking a little bit about if we were going to start up a brewery, where would be a good place to do it? Um, and Kyoto just made sense for a lot of different reasons. Um, so that conversation started to progress. Um, and how, sorry to interrupt you, but how, you know, of all the potential like business ventures, how did it end up being brewing beer? Brewing beer. Um, I mean, I've always, I mean, I'm from the UK, so obviously <laughs> uh, quite a big drinking nation. Um, but also, you know, I've always enjoyed, uh, I wasn't familiar with craft beer when I was living in the UK. Uh, it wasn't really a thing in the UK, um, but it was, um, beer's always been something I've always enjoyed, ales, I've always enjoyed um, the variety you get with beer. Um, and then 
after coming here and meeting people here, um, including my friend who was a, a homebrew and been so for over 10 years, I started to become more familiar with a lot of the more modern trends, a lot of what was happening in the craft beer scene. Um, and so when he said that he was thinking about becoming a brewer uh, and either working for another brewery or himself wanting to start up his own brewery, then that started to obviously sound something really interesting to get involved in. So that's it's it's interesting you're talking about craft brewing in Japan because my, you know, I was on Jet for two years in Tatori and my experience was really just drinking a yeah. sake or a Kirin. Oh, we did time. a lot of that too as well. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but I, I guess I had no idea there was a craft beer scene here when I yeah. moved. And until I moved to ago. Tokyo, I didn't really know much about it either. I see. Um, I see. You know, Tokyo, there are a lot of craft beer bars now and they're opening all the time as well. Um, and if you go to other cities in Japan, they're starting to increase. Um, and there were a few um, in other more rural areas of Japan that are just starting to spring up now. Um, but certainly, you know, you look back a few years, it was really only Tokyo. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so you guys got together, decided that you would, you know, this is actually like a business venture you want to go into. Yeah. How many of you were there? Uh, basically, myself, a guy called Paul and a guy called Chris. Okay. Uh, Chris is the, the brewer. Got it. Um, so it started off with the, the three of us. Um, okay. But initially, the two of them were full-time down here. Okay. I was continuing my work up in Tokyo while, I guess, doing sales uh, on the side, um, getting the name out there with the bars in, in Tokyo. What was that initial, like, what were you guys, yeah, what were you guys doing in that initial period? What were the first few steps? Well, I mean, starting a brewery in Japan's a little bit of a weird thing. It's kind of complicated. Uh, the first thing you have to do is really build a brewery and show that you can sell the amount of beer you need to get a license. And 20 years ago, that used to be 2 million liters a year. You had to produce and sell in order to get a license. Okay. So that was why there were no craft breweries really at the time. I see. And then the law changed and then it became 60,000 for beer and 6,000 for hapboshu, which is basically, you can you need to have one of the adjunct uh, in, in the beer in order to call it hapboshu. What does that mean? Sorry, what do you mean? Like... Explain that, I guess, to someone sure. who knows so, nothing so, about it. Okay, so um, I guess Japan is largely based off the, the German uh, way of, of assessing what beer is. Okay. So that means that you can put water, you can put malt, you can put hops, and you can put yeast in it. And anything else you put in there, and it's no longer beer. Ah, okay. Um, and Japan still looks at it that way, fundamentally. So if you put anything else in it, then it's long, no longer beer. Now, because there's a high tax on malt in Japan they started to be all of these different companies that started to make something that tasted like beer but actually had very little malt in it because then they could sell it in convenience stores for very cheap. So if you see like the Kirin Green label, for example, things like that, they're all cheap hapboshu but created for that reason. Oh, so that's not... That's interesting. I drank that probably many times thinking it was beer. Yeah. So that's not beer, technically. No, no exactly. But also, you know, you can also have beer that's 100% malt but they may put a hint of something else in there. So, for example, a lot of Belgian beers, you know, they might use some spices or, um, you know, they might use certain fruit in there. Also, that wouldn't be considered beer within Japan. That would immediately be hapboshu. I see. I see. And you need to be able to produce um, 6,000 litres a year to get a hapboshu license, um, as opposed to 60,000 for a beer license. So we've got a hapboshu license, basically. I see. Um, Okay. And a lot of other places start with that as well. It's, It's a lot easier to get. But... In order to, I guess, to get back to your question, to actually start the brewery, you need to get 
uh, a whole bunch of signatures from different bars and restaurants saying that they will buy your beer when you don't have a brewery you don't have a name you don't have anything I see um, and you also need to actually build the brewery and show that you're capable of producing it before they will give you a license I see wow okay so, so there's a lot of investment and a lot of marketing and sales I guess that's happening up front exactly and obviously in order to build a brewery you also have to get the investment yep. at the beginning as well yep. yeah um, how did you guys I guess let's talk about the, the first part like if you have to get all these signatures without really having a product yet how do you yeah about doing that so that was the cool thing so we were making these phone calls um to different bars and saying that we wanted that we wanted to start a brewery in japan that this was the, what the plan was um they were interested obviously in, in hearing about that is kind of a curious story three foreigners here starting a brewery um and then the next step is mentioning to these places that you wanted to visit them and also you wanted them to sign a piece of paper saying that they were going to buy a certain amount of beer and i thought it was going to be a pretty difficult sell uh, I thought they were going to just turn around and say, well, why, would I, why would I do that? That's a dangerous thing to do. But it's, it's not legally binding. And it seems that all of the craft beer bars are really used to it. Um, they have seen other places start up and they've been approached by other places for getting these signatures for the purpose of getting their license. I see. So in reality, um, you know, a lot of them you've got and they say, oh, okay, how many, how many liters do you want me to sign off for? They were just totally nice. open for it, yeah. And you were, this was in Tokyo, in Kyoto? Like, what, what areas were you going around? We were going around Kyoto, we were going around Tokyo, we were going around Osaka, um, a lot of different places, because I was based in Tokyo. Obviously, I was doing all of my um, rounds in, in Tokyo at the time, yeah. Got it. Okay, so there's that side of it, and then it sounds like the other side is actually building the brewery. Yeah. How, how did, you know, kind of in brief, how did that happen? How did you guys find the space? Um, and we just went to state agents in order to, to actually find a place. Um, originally, we wanted to start it up in a machia, actually. We wanted to get a, a traditional, uh, sorry, uh, like a, an old Kyoto townhouse, a machia. Uh, okay. uh, we wanted to convert that into a brewery, uh, which would have been a really cool idea. But then even the bigger places, it would have taken a huge amount of investment in order to just be able to do that. So we decided, um, as much as a nice dream that would be, uh, to restore a machia to its former glory and actually turn it into a brewery, um, we decided instead to go for um, more of a sort of factory and convert that for whatever it was before into a brewery. Got it. And the place that we ended up finding was a place that had been used, well, slightly suspicious uh, pharmaceutical <laughs> production site, and before that, um, it was used as a sort of a, a wood uh, a wood manufacturing facility as well. I see. And then did you have to get people who were kind of specialized in breweries to outfit yep, it? Or? Exactly. Um, so there's there's one um, company uh, that's based in Tokyo. Uh, they've they've actually built the breweries for a lot of um, the craft breweries in Japan uh, and done really well with that. Um, they really know their stuff. Um, okay. So we got the help of them. Um, they had a lot of other contacts. We heard through other people. Um, had other recommendations for other construction uh, related uh, companies as well. Got it, got yeah. it. Um, and I guess uh, talk, you know, to whatever degree you can talk about it on the investment side, is that something, mm. how did you go about raising money to actually build this? Yeah, so that was one that um, I think a lot of people were quite surprised at how we went about it. It wasn't really an orthodox way. Uh, we knew that going to banks was going to be difficult. So instead what we did was we got in touch with 
people we had within our network, friends, um, colleagues, people who we knew kind of had money, but we also knew that they had an interest, personal interest, but also an interest in craft beer. um, So that it wasn't going to be an investment in order to try to get money out of us in the short term, that they'd be committed for the long term. Yep. Uh, and we also just told everybody, you know, put in as much as you can afford to lose. Yep. Um, so we ended up with 35 investors um, and we raised the amount of money we needed to do to build a brewery through it. Got it. Wow. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, and can you talk, I guess, like why specifically Kyoto? Yeah. So, um, I mean, originally we were thinking about places to go and we always loved Almody, obviously. we had the, That was where we first met and the rest of it, but... We knew that that wasn't going to be a place um, where craft beer was going to take off anytime soon. Plus, you know, the cost of actually shipping it down to all these different places where craft beer is popular didn't seem like a good place from a business perspective. Um, and Chris was already living in Kyoto, and he was. Um, we started talking about whether Kyoto would be a good place for it. So there were a few reasons. One was um, Kyoto's really a sort of an artisanal city. It's a city based off of all different types of craft. Um, and so we felt that there was a lot of crossover between craft beer and a lot of these other industries that were really popular here. Uh, second reason is just that it's not just with traditional Japanese food or sake. Um, Kyoto is really a city where people care about what they eat and drink. Um, so um, you, and you see this with, you know, like all of these sort of house coffee houses um you see it with the wines that get selected here as well, but one area you don't see much of right now is, is beer. Um, but we just kind of thought that there was a good um, chance there. But I think the biggest reason overall was the fact that, you know, Chris is the head brewer. He was in love with the city anyway. Uh, I had fond memories from when I was a student here, and um, we just thought it would be a place that we really wanted to, to start up the business. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so that was the kind of the beginning of it. Can you talk a little bit about, like, I guess the challenges once it got going or what the experience was like? Yeah, um, I guess we didn't really know when we put the very first beer up on sale, we were kind of worried, you know, we made a pretty big uh, brewery. We were, we were talking about initially going with a thousand litre system and we went for 1,600. Um, well, uh, basically a 15 US barrel system. So we were worried that that was going to be a bit much to sell at the very beginning. Um but when we put the first beer on sale, it, it disappeared um, within, I think, a day and a half, wow. um, which obviously was far beyond what we could have imagined. And, and by that, you mean it was bought up by the people, the, the bars that are exactly. Yeah. And almost all of the places that we went down to, although, you know, they were only signing off on the document in order to help us out. Uh, almost all of them actually bought wow. beer from our first I batch, uh, which was great. Yeah. What was the first batch you guys made? It was a beer called Hajime Mashite. Nice. So, yeah, nice <laughs> which, to meet you. Which means, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was basically a, a sort of full-on American-style pale ale. Okay. Um, quite different from the beers that we've made since then um, because our house yeast is a Belgian strain and we really decided to go with uh, with that line. Um, but we thought that for the first one, straightforward, hop-forward, um, pale ale was going to be the the safest bet got it got it and then since then like how how do you guys go about deciding what type of beer to brew um i mean we largely leave it to chris i mean 
I think like with any creative industry, if you're doing something you're not interested in or passionate about, you're not going to do it well. Um, so fundamentally, it's the beers that he wants to make. So if he's interested in doing something, um, you know, as long as it's something, you know, if it's, as long as it's not some kind of crazy wasabi infused, uh, you know, difficult to drink bomb then you know which he wouldn't want to make anyway um then we're going to interest him pretty much with it full heart you know sure um wholeheartedly um and we're not going to turn around to him and, and ask him to make a sweet vitin or something like that because we know that he's he doesn't like that style of beer particularly gotcha is do you know if i mean obviously it sounds like he he's kind of making those decisions but is it driven by certain trends or demands in japan or is it more it, driven by what he's it's firstly in? by what he wants to make i mean we we also like give him ideas about what we're interested in what we like and see if that fits in with him as well um but it's fundamentally driven from him and then if it is something that we think is not going to work then or it's not the right time for it then of course we'll give his give our feedback on that but so far we haven't really had many of that situation before being pretty aligned sure and have the in terms of so it sounds like you've, you've brewed a bunch of different types of beers have certain ones you said they mostly have worked but have certain ones been more better received than others or really are people just interested in whatever i think you guys are doing i think the market right now is still somewhat heavily leaning towards um american hoppy beers they're, they're still very popular in an ipa um even people who don't know a lot about craft beer um a lot of people still know what an ipa is and they still have they still say oh yeah i like an ipa i see i see um but i mean we took a bit of a different angle because because our house used this belgian our initial lineup was a saison it was a belgian ipa which is quite different from an american ipa um and also a belgian stout um but it's actually they've all been very very popular um and when we do our specials um, I'd say that the Belgian style ones sell off, sell out as as quickly um, most of the time as the American style ones. Got it. What's the? Sorry, I should have asked you this earlier, but what's the name of the brewery? Uh, Kyoto Brewing Company. Got it. Simple. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you guys go about naming the different beers? Uh, it's usually a bit of a sort of um, collection of ideas from different people. So certain beers have been named by certain people in the company others by others um it's not being like one person just decides all the names uh usually what will happen is we're getting close to the beer being ready uh we all have a bit of a taste of the beer and how it's coming along and then we all just throw our ideas in there and whichever sticks uh whatever is popular with um everybody else we kind of vote on it and then that's what we run with got it can you give us some more examples of the the names you guys have used uh so i guess i'll, I'll mention the, the teban or the year-round beers um so ichigo ichie um, which is an idiom that basically means uh, once, one chance meeting. Uh, originally, it was actually used by the Kyoto tea makers, meaning that for every tea that you make for somebody, you should imagine that it could be your only chance to ever make an impression on this person. Um, so there's that one. There's Ichi Senshin, um, which means to effectively devote yourself wholeheartedly to something. Um, and then there's Kuroshio no Gotoku, which means um, like the black tide. Wow. <laughs> so they're always Japanese names. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And what about the, I mean, actually, sorry, I should have asked you this as well. Do you guys bottle anything and sell it that way? Right now it's all keg, yeah. It's all kegs. We've got a bottling machine that's been sitting there um, under 
plastic sheeting since the day we started. I see. Um, we will hopefully get into it at some point, but we keep saying that. So, we'll is it sure just when. is it more profitable or, or easier to distribute the kegs into? It's more profitable. Um, it's easier. It's less man hours. Um, and also, um, certainly from spring to autumn, we're struggling to keep to actually produce enough. Um, and so if we then take 30% of that and put it into bottles, that means that the bars that have been supporting us up to now will be even more limited in terms of what we can actually offer to them. I see, I see. Um, so those are the main reasons. And then the other one is just um, quality control. We need to make sure that when we start bottles that we're going to get it out in the condition it's meant to be. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So uh, I guess another question, you know, again, I, had, I know nothing about brewing beer. What's the, how long does it take to, to brew a batch typically, or does it vary a lot? Um, it takes for us about one month on, on average. Um, I mean, it, it does vary a little bit. Sometimes the yeast works faster. Sometimes it's, it's slower. Um, sometimes it needs to mature longer, but a month would be average. Got it. Um, so what are, can you talk a little bit about, since there's kind of three of you, what are your each? So one guy is the brewer that yep. much I kind of gathered. What are the, what do the other two founders do? Uh, kind of everything else outside of it. Um, so, uh, I'd say that the areas that I tend to cover a little bit more are on the selling side. Um, so I'm kind of involved in, in the sales part, but I'm also helping, you know, actually deliver it around the town. Um, I'm moving kegs around in the fridge, um, making sure that the inventory's in line, um, helping out with, uh, with actual shipping days as well. Um, Paul is, um, doing everything related to, or he and, and another guy doing everything related to the finances uh, of the company. Um, he's also um, been working a lot with, with the banks in order to, to talk about, you know, getting uh, further investment and so on. Um, but, you know, he'll also be uh, involved in a lot of day-to-day uh, -day making sure that, you know, money's actually coming in when it's supposed to have come in and things like that. So we get involved in a lot of, everyone gets a lot, a lot of detailed work as a startup. Gotcha. Yeah. And do you, you guys have, at this point, have grown beyond just the first three founders? Are there other employees? Yeah, we've got four other employees as well okay. that are working with us. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. Um, what What's your What's your day like, I guess, in terms of hours? And what's your week like in terms of days? <laughs> We're going to get into trouble with the... Uh... With the employment bureau for mistreating all of our employees, we work. We're well, you let's say just you specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, me, I mean, me, I'm, I'm, I mean, myself actually. The other founders as well. We're, we're working. Um, sometimes we're working seven days a week. Sometimes it's six. Um, but we're we're not really switching off at the moment. But hopefully, um, as the company gets bigger, we'll have a bit more opportunity to to get a bit more balance. But I think. I think startups are kind of like that, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. that's that's yeah. sometimes the fun. Part. As much as possible, we're trying to make sure that the other people working for the company are able to go home at a decent time sure. and get their weekends off. Sure. Um, and did you? You might have mentioned this before, but are most of the? I guess what percentage of the bars you're selling to are in Kyoto, and what percentage are outside? Roughly. Yeah, it's a difficult one to answer. I mean, in terms of the numbers of bars, um, I'd say that Kyoto probably represents probably only about 10%. I see. But in terms of the volume that goes out, um, it would it would be a, a lot higher. It's probably at least a third, I would say, okay. right now, yeah. Okay. If not, if not closer to half, yeah. Sure. So since you've been doing this, like any observations before or after starting this company on the 
I guess just like the drinking scene in Japan, specifically like beer drinking. Um, what's maybe different from what you were used to back home, or what's changing? I don't know. Um, Anything you think it's worth mentioning? I mean, it's a, it is a, it is another big drinking culture, just like the UK is. Um, obviously, there are people in Japan who can drink a lot, and there are some people who can't drink at all. Uh, whereas in the UK, pretty much everyone drinks. Um, <laughs> but, but I'd say that um, culturally, there's a lot of similarities. Um, that's what people do at the end of the day at work to, to socialize. Um, and I'd say that the other thing, I guess the one other thing that I've noticed that one thing that I have noticed that is a bit of a difference is that I'd say that in Japan, people are a little bit more obsessed with um, whatever's new. Um, so like in the UK, people, I mean, it has changed a lot more recently, but traditionally people would stick with a couple of beers that they really, really liked. Mm. Um, Whereas in Japan, not only will they have different... Well, they don't think they'll drink the same drink twice in a night most of the time. Um, but in, in terms of that, um, on top of that, you'll tend to see that whatever's new or whatever's rare, whatever's difficult to find, people will so actively seek, seek that out. So when we put our beer on sale, you know, it might take, you know, in the winter, uh, a month or more to sell out of a batch of our um, regular year-round beer but it will sell out in an hour if it's a Gente beer, a special beer. I see. Yeah. I see. Um, in terms of just the craft beer scene, it sounds like it's expanding in Japan. Mm. Can you, do you have relationships with other craft brewers? Like, Oh yeah, definitely. What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, people here are very sociable um, uh, within, within the scene. I mean, I think that's the same worldwide, actually. I think craft beer is really open and friendly. People don't see each other as competitors. I see. They see themselves as all working towards the same cause. Um, Interesting. In fact, last week we just did a collaboration with another brewery uh, in Japan, um, and um, I'm sure we'll be doing more as well. Yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good atmosphere from that point of view. Are there? Do you know? Are, are there other, I, I guess, quote unquote, foreign run craft breweries, or are you guys the only ones? Uh, no, there are a couple. I mean, the biggest one is is Baird Brewing, B A I R D. Okay. Um, and they're in Shizuoka. Okay. Uh, hugely successful. They export uh, worldwide. Oh wow! Um, okay. So uh, yeah, we're not the we're not the first by any means. Um, sure, but yeah, it's still much more Japanese heavy, obviously. Got it. And is there some sort of, you know, when people find out that you guys are that it's a foreign run company, are you received, you think differently than a Japanese company would be? Like, I think a lot of people know already. Um, if they're interested in craft beer, then they they've known about us now for a while because uh, it's been about a year and a half, and I think part of the. Th the interest came from the fact that we were not Japanese, um, but we're starting it up in Japan. Um, but I'd say that when people, some, ple some people, when they hear Kyoto Joso, they imagine it sounds like it could be a sake brewery. It's um, oh, a lot of people. Um, so sometimes there's that misunderstanding. And then I guess the other one is, yeah, I mean, some, some people will assume that with the name as well and with the names of the beers that we have, that it's going to be run by, by Japanese. Sure. Um, but I think that just kind of increases the curiosity you know why um yep. i think people want to understand a little bit more about why foreigners would start a company here and not choose to have foreign names for the beers and things like gotcha. that um so I, I think it's been more curiosity and positive uh, responses that's great awesome uh i guess lastly what what's what are kind of like the next steps where where do you think things are going i mean right now it's really a matter of um being able to get a bit more of a, a sense of sanity because it's just 
it is still uh, very much in the early startup stage. Um, I think we need we obviously need to get a few more bodies in place, but beyond that, it's just a matter of um, trying to make sure that our we're able to produce what we need to produce in order to to be able to be uh, to have that. If our customers want to go on an order of beer, they can. Got it. Uh, that's the next step. Beyond that, um, we haven't really planned that much ahead. <laughs> sure. sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But we don't want to be. We don't want to end up being a huge, huge brewery. We don't want to expand and become a multi-million uh, liter a year um, production facility. That's not the goal. Got it. Awesome. Anything else you'd like to share before we uh, we wrap this up? Uh, nothing really, but yeah, I mean, uh, where I guess, I guess the last question is if, if I'm, you know, coming to Kyoto to, to visit, like where are some places I could find your beer? You can find it at the brewery if you come on a weekend. Uh, I mean, definitely should check the website out because, uh, there are weekends that we're not running, but from one to 6 PM, uh, on Saturdays and Sundays in general will be open. Um, and we do a food trucks visiting as well. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and then aside from that, uh, just on the website as well, you've got all of the different bars listed there that have a permanent line with our taps. So there's probably about 20, 25 places within town uh, where you can get oh. a beer. Uh, there's another nine uh, in Kanto area uh, where you can uh, always go and get a beer as well. Um, and then there's other places, any any craft beer bars, uh, most of the craft beer bars in Tokyo as well. From time to time, they'll pick up our stuff. So. Gotcha. And what's the what's the website? Uh, KyotoBrewing.com. Creative. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Bye. Cheers.